ask us to close our eyes and just embrace the preciousness, preciousness of this moment. And we desire with our full hearts to do the will of the One Infinite Creator for the highest and fullest good. And we ask that the One Infinite Creator help us to be instruments of peace here in Third Density. Amen. All right, sharing your screen, my screen, but it's your slides. And here we go. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for the technical assist. <laughs> okay. Hi, everybody. Pretty yeah, day here. Slide show. Uh, order first to see the. There you go. So today I wanted to share about a group that I found out about um, maybe about two years ago that has been um, extremely intriguing to me, um, and I think that there are some some interesting um, echoes in things that will be very familiar, um, and I like them and think they're cool, so I wanted to share. Um, the group is called Mission Rama, um, and they are based in Peru. They were started um, many years ago, uh, the late 60s, early 70s. Um, just by show of hands, has anybody ever heard about them? Anybody? I'm checking the things. Okay, cool. So I'm going to start with this, you know, being uh, very fresh information. So this is the founder. His name is uh, Sixto, Sixto Paz Wells. Um, Sixto was born into a family of uh, mystics, uh, uh, deep thinkers, um, and uh, community members and healers. So uh, the comings and goings of deep thought and meditation were very much part of Sixto's growing life. Um, and then one day, Sixto and sibling, uh, next slide, please. Sixto and his sibling, Veronica, I wanna, I wanna shout out Veronica. Veronica does not get a lot of credit historically um, for how foundational her role was with starting everything. Um, and she doesn't really fight about that, but I see you, Veronica. Um, Veronica and Sixto were uh, together um, in this in this journey. Uh, next slide, Doug, please. They had gone with their family to a theosophy uh, conference or uh, intensive, um, and they had to travel quite far for it because it was the '60s and like people didn't do stuff like that. So they traveled miles and miles and days, and on the way back home from the journey, multi-day journey. Uh, Sixto began to use some of the concepts of, of meditation that they had learned in the in the Theosophy workshop and um, just said, hey, what if I try telepathically um, connecting with the highest source of radiance that I can think of or that I can find? At this time, Sixto was a late mid-teenager, so it was a teenage idea of, hey, what's out there that might be benevolent and might want to talk to me. Anybody on the radio? And that led to some very interesting discoveries that he began to share with Veronica and then their parents. Um, next slide, please, Doug. So they started hearing from uh, Ganymede directly um, over the course of several months. And um, 
Sixto's siblings and then parents began to take Sixto seriously, um, going out to the wider community. And you got to remember, for the decade and the time, there was just a small, tight-knit fringe group of people who weren't Catholic and were like just doing other stuff. Uh, so it was a really small network of people that were supportive of whatever this, you know, that Sixto was was hearing and understanding. Um, encouraged him to to know more and helped him do learn grounding process, uh, transcendental meditation, and learn to study study himself as a as a pretty young. Uh, person and also received information directly from uh, from uh, uh, who identified themselves as peaceful leadership on Ganymede of how to deepen his capacity to pay attention and to to listen and to share the the techniques which mostly centered around um, uh, really really deep meditation really deep self love um, and and things that you know we all might be familiar with. Um, so Ganymede is where they were broadcasting from. Uh, next slide, please, Doug. So this is this is someone's drawing, and I love I love this drawing so much because it looks like a certain character, like Sims, and I love that. Um, this um, this is the uh, 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 messenger uh, who appeared to Sixto after a year or two of uh, channeling meditation. Um, Sisto began to physically be able to see um, this um, this leader, peaceful leader called Oksok. Uh, I do not speak enough to fully translate this uh, this page. Can you help me out, anybody? Can you help me out with this one? <laughs> like the gist of what is on here? Yeah, let's see. Um, okay, the gist is <clears throat> the chronicas, uh, the chronicles and experiences of an announced um, meeting and then it says uh, uh, coming together and findings of a group of persons in the look and looking for the the dream and it says mm -hmm. um, explain sincerely what they think it will hurt them it will make them apart, part, part ways. But the ones that recognize truth will come back better and stronger. So um, Sixto began to uh, teach people to to meditate and to um, to. Um, hear the messages that were coming from Oksok. Primarily along the lines of um, considering uh, the relationship to planet, considering the relationship to um, vegetarianism, if they found that relevant, considering the relationship to, to other, um, to conflict, to strife. Essentially the bare messages were calm down and stop killing things like plus minus, that's what it all boiled down to. Um, and there was a very strong emphasis on um, consent and if people wanted to do these things and if people wanted to communicate, which yielded the question, why do we want to communicate? And then the answer uh, came back plus minus because you are star children and we're so happy to talk to you. How about you come outside and come, come see us? And people were like, what? 
And Assault was like, yeah. And so people began to uh, stop eating meat, stop fighting, and come outside to come see them um, repeatedly. And this was happening in Peru very, very, very heavy. This was, we're now in like peak, like hippie time, 70s time. So there were a lot of uh, uh, gringos that wandered over to go see what this was about, but mainstream Western media didn't really cover this because there was enough going on. Um, and that's why a lot of people didn't hear about this. Um, next slide, please, Doug. So most of the um, events went down in the Chilka Desert. This is a picture of the actual Chilka Desert. Um, it's a very popular sandboarding tourist spot as of now. Um, and it was kind of considered the, I guess, Joshua tree-ish area of Peru. It had been known ancestrally as a place where like shit went down um, and, and was um, considered very rich, very spiritual. And that's where a lot of um, the deep meditation circles went on. What tended to happen was they would go, they would go out around dusk, um, center themselves, drink some water and pray and pray and and pray and uh, open themselves to a loving vibration and frequency um, and then they would ask for sightings they would ask for um, uh, something that they could could see and they started to be successful in doing that uh, next slide please Doug. so the the gist of this um, news agencies started getting a hold of this there started being a lot of people who were coming out there, like thousands of people who were coming out to the Chilka Desert to do this. So somebody called somebody who called somebody who called the news, and this ended up on uh, the Newswire. So they basically put out to Peruvian news, uh, these, these kids are talking to aliens and, and Ganymede is talking to us. And um, the, the request was made uh, from Sixto to the... Um, um, to the, the things that were connected with them, can you show people this? Like, can people see this so that there's verification? And they were like, yeah, cool, bet. And so there was one day in about 1979 that about 200 journalists came out, um, about a thousand uh, meditators came out, and it was actually documented, photographed, captured, and, and it does live uh, in the news that they just, they asked if can y'all come out? And then they came out and people were, were looking and were there. So all in all during this time, um, next slide please, Doug. So there were about 25,000 encounters in Peru that were, that were logged and documented. One was captured by news cameras that I mentioned, but there were just people, this, people were just doing this. They just started doing this at a point. And what was fascinating was it was mostly really young people that were leading the movements. We're talking like 12 through 19 that were, that felt called and felt led to want to really devote themselves to these practices and lead groups. And so it was younger um, people leading elders and leading older people in how to do these practices and, and build um, communities, which like the generational dynamics of that I thought were really interesting. Uh, next slide, please, Doug. Um, so, uh, did it did it go forward to, or I can't remember. I can't remember where I put the other one. Okay, yeah, so the principal four things, like I mentioned, were they wanted people to 
meditate pretty deeply, get into a very deep practice of regulating their own central nervous system for two reasons. One, so that when they began to like see craft, see light, engage, they didn't give themselves a heart attack. And also what was very interesting was the the beings were extremely sensitive to human energy. So like uh, not our intonations or like the shouting or anything like that, but like the 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 extremely loud spike emotionally actually would like hurt them a bit. So like, so this is going to be better for everybody if y'all chill the fuck out first, please, very thoroughly, and then let's do this very slowly. So these would be like multi-year groups that were um, that were doing kind of, I guess, like energy prep work and energy check, and then they would get told, okay, your entire group ready, go send these eight or twelve people. Uh, no, y'all need to cook a little bit more. Like, here's the exercises to help these 20 people do so that they can come and do it, do this safely. So it was a really, like, well-organized uh, system to help people stay very regulated and be able to have multiple experiences without experiencing harm. Um, and like I mentioned, a lot of young people, and it was always go into the desert. Very rarely were there sightings in the city. Occasionally there were, but it was mostly people just trucking it um, out there. Uh, to the point where they had to put up, uh, from a regulatory perspective, limits on how many could go out there at a time because there just wasn't supposed to be that much traffic going to this nowhere place. So the government needed to like regulate it. Like that's how popular this was, which is crazy because nobody's heard about this. Um, so uh, next slide, please. Uh, and, and veganism was a big one. It was like something about like eating animal meat, like really messed up radio. And they were like, don't do that while you're trying to talk to us because it slows everything down. I don't know why. Anyway, the group was originally called Rama. Um, that was the sound that people were told to uh, meditate on, to focus on the visual of the sun meeting the earth in harmony to, uh, to cause it to flourish and to cause it to be seen unto itself and cause it to shine. And so to focus on those sounds and syllables and that construct um, during the core meditation. And when the the uh, the beings were invited, you would just have like a hundred people in like a group chanting like this, visualizing the sun meeting the earth to shine its its face so that the children of the earth could see each other and beyond is relatively. That's my very poor translation. Um, almost all of the material about this is written like straight in Spanish. They don't give a shit about writing this in English. They don't care. They're like, you use Google Translate or you ain't getting this. And I respect that a lot. So um, like a lot of the books and the lectures and things, you gotta translate that. Um, and um, and now they're, they're loosely referred to as Mission Rama, but very loosely. The official group disbanded in the 90s, um, Sixto, you know, being a flesh and blood human being, was born in 1950, whatever, by 19, by, sorry, it disbanded in the 2000s. So in the 2000s, people died and like, you know, you gotta do other stuff. And so um, the official entity, like tax ID of Mission Rama was disbanded, but a lot of people having experienced something like that wanted to continue. So there's tons of different offshoot groups and lots of places that have, um, comparable ideology on how this is approached, but there's no like formalized group at this point at this time. Uh, next slide, please, Doug. Um, I just wanna, so, just wanna pause real quick and say, did you know that there is, yeah. 
a confederation group called OXAL. It's, um, I bet it's the same one, but anyways, they're channeled by Quo, and it's a fourth density group, O-X-A-L, and they're, yeah, but anyways, I, oh I, I thought that was really cool, because you'd never heard of it, and it might be the Please same group. Please send me that. Please send me that. Yeah. I think that shit's so cool. So, so one of the, um, that's mind-blowingly cool, whoa. Um, so one of the core things, um, tenets or principles of how this all works that that uh, might sound a bit familiar is in in a group which had been designated to be between eight to twelve people um there would be one person in the group if everyone opened themselves to going to be what was called the antenna for the group one person would through uh dreams and confirmation be um able to catch the frequency of um of what was coming from ganymede and then they wouldn't need to like tell the group the group would just be told such and such like pedro is the antenna for this group so it wasn't really like a self-nomination process it was everybody meditate everybody do automatic writing prayer whatever you're going to do and someone's going to get the message then the antenna and everyone else is going to also hear that keep your mouth shut the consensus will be made and that like happened for almost every single group um and and through the the collective thought of these this was mostly kids like to together um they came to these understandings very consistently um for one person who was typically the most i guess like psychically sensitive or the veil was thinnest for that person and then a very interesting thing happened as the antenna kind of uh, stepped into what they their role, the people in the group would have their sensitivity heightened. So everybody kind of leveling out to the same level of receptivity uh, as the antenna person. And then that's just how it happened group after group after group. But this antenna thing um, just really reminded me um, of, you know, of Carla and what was happening and the role of people who were not the antenna were to um, help and support and to essentially plus minus my understanding which is you know imperfect is basically neither allow neither ego nor harm to come to this antenna it's like you you have a connection to this this thing guard it well keep yourself grounded and also like a bunch of extra sauce toppings and shit starts to happen when you're getting this level of frequency so we're your we are your um protectors is the wrong word but it's like we're we are with you we're walking um among you um as you as you do this so um i just thought the way that they use the antenna concept and the the seriousness with which that role was taken um was was interesting um next slide please Doug. well just also that's exactly what ross says is how fourth density the beginning of fourth density is exactly what you just said really mm-hmm. what is what that there would be um, <clears throat> beginning a shared consciousness, people attuning to each other. Um, if there are, uh, if, if there are differences of opinion, there's automatic harmony because people are sharing energy and and thought forms, and it, the whole thing starts to vibrate and resonate together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
this is the part that I think is really cool. Um, this is um, the concept that I think is like the dopest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Um, called the Zendra. This is this is an artist rendering. Somebody made um, an LP with the title Zendra, and this is how they visualize. So essentially, when people have uh, very uh, experienced in in this work, they can ask and be told yes or no to have a Zendra experience. And to my understanding, literally a clown looking thing, kind of this sort of thing, comes down. All 12 of those suckers get into that cloud and go somewhere else. That's the coolest shit I've ever heard. So they but the the level of of attunement so that you don't like have a heart attack when that actually happens is quite significant so people would be like for lack of a better word like like getting swole and like pressing with so that they could psychologically handle this experience um in in a way that actual of their bodies and their central nervous system because um there were there were a few people who experienced like not great uh, physiological symptoms because they just got too excited, too much cortisol, too much like it was just too much. So there was a lot of um, collaboration done. It like the only thing I'd liken it to is like a five year old who wants to go on a motorcycle. <laughs> like, like, that is um, kind of how that situation went. And there's um, hundreds of anecdotal experiences of what people see in the Zendras, like um the the relationship to time like to time and space past and future is like funky in in them seeing different events seeing ancestors seeing self seeing like uh, future lineages um asking different questions about why certain things are what i found was really interesting is that um law of confusion is leverage for some of the questions because people will be wanting to ask like oh who will be president or like whatever or who did this and like, no, don't worry about that. That's not why we're why we're up here. Ask something else, please. And like, if people were trying to, you know, uh, pull, there was a anecdote that somebody had asked about like, um, like somebody's bank account number or some disputed inheritance. They were like, no, sir, no. <laughs> like, and and these Zendra experiences um, um, have been reported happening replicated by uh, former Rama members here uh, at Mount, Mount Shasta and also at, there's another location I can't remember, but they they, they tend for Shasta a lot. Um, and Zendros have been reported happening in uh, the US and I just think it's just the sickest thing ever. Um, next slide, please. So this is the part that I thought was really super interesting. Um, at a certain certain point, Sixto was in a meditation and was like, "Who is telling us these yeses and no's? Like, who who is telling us who's ready and who's not ready? Who's telling us when we can go and when we cannot? Like, I can feel that the energy is good, but like, what's the logic and the architecture?" And what uh, Sixto was told was that there was a great confederation of stars um, um, on what they call Moreland, Ganymede. Um, and this is the really cool thing. They were like, it's called Ganymede 
um, for you now, but we exist in a different time that is forward in the future. So we don't call it that anymore. This place used to be called that in the time that you all are referencing it from. Does that sound familiar to anybody about anything? So, and, and their goal is to assist all worlds that are evolving um, and to exist in a place that's basically harmonious and they're extremely um, technologically advanced and had reached a stage of spiritual development to be able to handle those toys and tools and wanted to very patiently guide people. This is what was was being distinctly uh, delivered via channel and messaging to um, to Sisto and and Veronica. Veronica was was one of the primary people um, who was able to sustain deep contact. And Sisto was like the initial one that got it, but Veronica was the one that learned how to hold that contact. And so she thought everyone else how to sustain that. Um, and so this is one of the, the parts where Sisto gets the credit, but like Veronica was right, right. Um, in 1978, so this is like pre-Greer, this is pre-lots of things. Um, and when it was, and it was documented just in, in Spanish um, at the very, very early time. And so I've, I thought that that was really cool. As I was, as I was first getting um, exposed to Wild One Concepts in the Raw, uh, documentation. I kept flipping back and going back. I was like, wait, and <laughs> like holding these things up because I'd, I'd heard about Rama. Rama had captured my attention like maybe two or three years ago. So I was like, this stuff is sounding really parallel. Um, so there are people who still um, very much talk about what happened with Rama um, and its importance today. So Paula Harris, uh, James Iandoli and uh, uh, Dr. Dr. Burks, um, they're on YouTube just talking, like recapping Rama stuff, like they're talking about like the Bulls 92 season like now, and they'll 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 be on podcasts and stuff breaking down stuff that happened in detail, either because they talked to Sisto, they ran with Rama for a while, and you know um, Iandoli is I think in his 30s, but like you know Paolo and Dr. Burks, they're they're seasoned, they're seniors, so they were like there they were actually physically there saw all the shit happen like this is what happened this is like where it came from and quietness kept a lot of the pieces that Greer picked up came direct six stone and veronica but issues of credit and attribution and i'll stay up with why that may have been but a lot of things that are uh, commonly attributed to c-study uh dr burke's uh um gives his testimony that he saw Rama doing first and they invited uh, Greer and Burks, Greer and Burks used to run together, uh, to, to come out to Peru to see this and understand this and, and be in it. And Burks was number two at C-Study for a while and then uh, there was a parting of ways. But a lot of this stuff came from just up straight up out of Peru, just running around in the desert. Uh, next slide, please, Doug. So. There is um, one of the people who was the absolute youngest in Rama, joined Rama when he was about 11 or 12 years old in the 80s and stayed all the way through till it closed down is a gentleman named Enrique. Enrique was like at all the things, at all the stuff, getting all the zendras, going all the things. And um, Enrique was really clear that um, experience and knowledge was his primary driver for why he spent almost 20 years of his life just like every time there was a, a run he was on the run every time they were in desert he was there and he 
he gained during this time an, an extremely sensitive psychic makeup and an extremely powerful connection to the collective um, body, which he thought was really cool for a long time until there came a point where he had like a clear, like vision. He was sitting in the forest on one of their trips and clearly one of the elders uh, came to him and said, hey, this is awesome. You've matured. Would you like a job now? Because like, it's great. You've gotten into all of this and now like we need, we need help doing things. Would you like to help? Enrique was like, yeah, more experiences. <laughs> and 28, 29 years old was like, yeah. And, and began to understand that that was going to become like precognition of large scale events that human beings were going to need help with because they were going to undergo an extreme amount of psychological distress. He became a 911 dispatcher for the human collective. And he was like, this is a lot. So uh, plane crashes, terrorist events, he would know like a week and a half in advance, would understand who was going to die, what type of help they were going to need crossing over. And then there were these collective dreams that he would have with other people who had also said yes for different reasons. Some NDE reasons, some they'd been really honing their psychic attunement, but everybody was like, the veil was non-existent. They were just like kind of out there and everyone had said, yeah, I'll be part of this. So there were these groups of people who in their, their dreams basically would tend to these souls that had had this incident that they had gotten a heads up about two weeks to a month earlier and like the same way that you would help people in crisis after a fire or an accident, like some were in denial, some were fighting, some went easy. And like they were the, the committee working alongside these, um, some of these elders from Ganymede to, to do this and be a, a, a recognizably human presence in very scary events for, for souls that were crossing. He did about two years of that and was like, so I'm going to go get a job and uh, I'm tired. And um, he decided to that his easier job would be to be a trauma therapist. And so he's doing that. And that's his vacation package where he's just chilling and using his amazing psychic abilities to be sitting with, you know, people on this side of the veil who are dealing with the unthinkable. And uh, he, he talks to them, gives conferences and he talks about his experiences with Rama very, very, uh, very freely when he's in the right environment and audience. Um, and, and he's very clear. He's like, it was a transformative experience. I'm very glad that I dedicated my youth to that experience, but there becomes a point where he's like, he's like, I had to tap out because I was like, this is a lot. <laughs> and they, and they said, okay, if you don't, if this is not what suits your path and serves you. We love you. Come back anytime. Um, you can't get unpsychic when you're that psychic, though. It's really hard. Um, apparently, he talks about that a lot. Um, and yeah, so that is that Enrique Villanueva, and he's he's written books about this. Um, his his time in those dimensions and and in those spaces, um, and and he teaches um, mostly about self-regulation technique for people that are dealing with anxiety disorders or depression or or uh, needing to find a deeper sense of grounding. He teaches extensively on that uh, through today. Um, I think that might be the last slide. Let's see. I don't know what I did. Nope, okay. Yeah, so uh, Shasta, a lot of the stuff still goes down. 
Um, there are individual groups uh, that have splintered off from Rama that, that go to Shasta within the U.S. context, and they're still out there in the Peruvian desert today, just out there. Goodness. Um, and I think it is amazing and real and cool. I uh, posted on our uh, forum under discussion on Tuesday night on the Tuesday night uh, channel. There's a, a place for discussion, and I posted a link to all of the LNL research channelings that mentioned OXAL, O X A L. I'm assuming it's the same group, so that would be really cool to go through that and kind of read what they have to say. So cool. Yeah. I'm going to check those out. That's so cool. And I knew somewhere there was going to be some like definitive place where these things meet somewhere. It's not really like too symmetrical. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just crazy to me that most people are, who are really super sad. A lot of this stuff have not like the word about them. Hasn't like, like blown up, blown up. And I don't, under, I don't really understand um, why, and and I, I think that it might be there's something that I I read about the um, about the law of one teachings that it's like that it just appears to people as it is supposed to appear to people. It just arrives as it is designated to arrive, and I think that this is one of those things because like this is like if we know about Skinwalker Ranch, we need to know about it too. Like it just to me, it should be part of the lexicon, but it's um it's 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 delivered um on a curated basis i think the law of one does talk about uh, raw talks about um peru being one of the places that the confederation was pretty involved in uh they're really really old souls there a lot of Lemur lemurian souls um the first kind of civilization according to raw settled there after Lemuria disappeared and um, really, really ancient bloodlines there, spiritual stuff. So it doesn't surprise me that, um, yeah, Atlantis, thank you. It was Atlantis. That's exactly right. So you've got uh, a lot of really, really um, attuned spiritual people that could bring in something like that. And a lot of them, I don't know what it was, but so many of the the youth that came into Rama had parents that were super into Rosicrucian stuff. Like, I don't know what, like, where or how that all stacks, but, like, it's an inordinate amount of people. They're like, my dad was part of the Rosicrucian order, and then I just got one of his books one day, and it's like, hello, space, and then this happened. <laughs> I just saw your note in the chat, Troy. That's really cool that you have breakfast with Bella Harris. She's like a, a wonderful ball of energy. Um, I think that's my question for the um, for the the group um, is: Does anyone else see any other uh, parallels or or synchronicities in, in your own study of of the of the of Carlos channelings or or law of one like any just anything jumping off the off the top that anyone sees. 
I mean, I do. Sorry to keep talking. I, I see. Uh, first off, the word "ra" is um, the "ra" group said they were given that because "ra." I guess it might have been in Sanskrit and probably Hebrew too. Was the vibrational utterance of the energetics of sixth entity of wholeness. And um, that's why they were called Ra, because it, it, was, it was completely completely congruent with their own energetic sense of themselves, how they understood themselves. So I'm assuming Ra-Ma would be, um, we have the sun, which is Ra, and then Ma might, would be that third density, Earth. And if you put them together, you got some kind of bridge between the sun you know the earth and the sun which would be also telling of their own mission you know they're that bridge between their density and and our harvest um yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they would just have people just out there for like three four hours at a time just doing that utterance like that was mm -hmm. that was the sound that they made gave collective voice to and then uh, as what you were saying about the um, the Sanskrit connection, I got really curious about that, about uh, Lord, Lord Rama and the different manifestations um, attached to that, that <clears throat> deity in, in Hindu um, literature. I was thinking about that. I, I kind of had a feeling that like these type of instances, if not have always gone been going on in sparse areas uh on now um i was going when i was talking about about a week or two weeks ago and i was trying to the way i was trying to explain what i sense and see is i explain it like a, a pot of boiling water that's just about to boil and so you see a bubble over here and a bubble over there and a bubble over there and whereas Many of us think that, like, Moses was the only one hearing, you know, whereas, like, no, in, in a sense, there was a Moses in this region, and there was a so-and-so in this region, so-and-so in that region, and, you know, that bubble rising from the top to the top was that experience that someone recorded. So how many of these experiences have gone on that was just not recorded? But, but that was, you know, millennia ago, where we saw a bubble over here and then a bubble over that region. Now, I feel that like all of these bubbles are all over the bottom of the pot that are like rising because the, I mean, it's that difference between two, what is it, 12, two, 212 and 211 when that's the difference when the water starts yeah. to water, where you can't stop the bubbles. They are everywhere because the entire state of the water has changed. And that's what I kind of feel this is going on. So that's what's so exciting to me to hear you talk about this. Well, that's building forth, uh, the building forth center. That's what we're doing. Building forth bubbles. Mm-hmm. It's bubbling, we're bubbling. And it's a good bubble. You know, many times it's not a good bubble. <laughs> that's a good right. 
Has anybody been to Shasta? Like, has anybody here been to Mount Shasta? Have, have you experienced just like what it's, what it's like there? Mount Shasta, yeah. Washington, right? I believe so. Like Oregon, Washington, somewhere well, up. Shasta, California. Uh, you're thinking of Mount Adams. Mount Adams is in yeah. and that's Mount Adams. Yeah, Shasta. Did I have it wrong? No, it's in California. Yeah. It's about 50 miles from Oregon, you know, from the Oregon border. So close. Wow. I have a, friend, okay. a friend who moved there um, from Olympia, Washington to Mount Shasta about a year ago. She's just flourishing, loves it. Mm -hmm. I spent uh, a month at the uh, uh, Shasta Abbey, the Buddhist Order of Contemplatives. I did a month-long retreat uh, there. Oh, it's been about 12 years or so. It's pretty powerful. Um, very deep sitting, a really special place. That was where I had uh, my first and only Ken show of uh, you know, this opening. So it's, it's, it's an incredible place. Kensho. I'm sorry, what is it? What is a Kensho? Uh, you know, if you do enough meditation, um, I can best describe it as the sensation of everything just dropping away and that you know that everything is one. It, and it's not intellectual, it is with the entire body and spirit, and you just feel that moment of oneness. Um, some people can get there with psychedelics, um, but if you do intensive meditation um, for a period of time, it can it can happen. I'm glad you said it. I was going to keep myself. I'm like, that sounds like five grams, dog. But yes, <laughs> that's cool. That's amazing. I, actually, just to wrap it up, I'm sorry to again talk, but um, it happened while I was looking at my Shasta. And at the same time, this is TMI, but I was I was going to the bathroom and looking out the window at my Shasta, and it was like, bam. And that's often how these things happen. Doing the laundry, you know, or whatever. Michael, I'd be curious to know, do you think that... Um that could also be described when people say a Kundalini awakening? Um, I don't know much about Kundalini. Maybe somebody else can say that, but um, so I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Right, I think so. Yeah, I think they, they would be synonymous, the experiences. Also, it's interesting. Um, a, a Kundalini chant is, uses Rama. Ramadasa. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I wonder if. Yes. I wonder if, like, you know how in the 20th century, 19th century, certainly 17th, 18th, 19th century, we kind of felt like we had to have all the same vocabulary for something to be valid. And I wonder if now the power is in the diversity. The fact that it could be called multiple names in the same way that people talk about, like the, the account of the Gospels, uh, 
it's important that Matthew said it his way and Mark said it his way and Luke said it his way and it brings more of that that old Jewish idea of you know the 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 Torah is a jewel and every time you turn it you see a different facet of light uh, as opposed to saying no it has to be all uniform and it all has to be the same words if you use a different word you know you're kicked out of the club uh, can I share a similar experience, but I'm not going to use the same language at all. So after I share it, you might go, nope, that's not the same thing. So uh, I, went to a, I went to a silent retreat. So it was a week long and it was grand silence. No speaking, no listening to music, no eye contact, no facial expressions, just uh, total silence for the entire week. But we did get together as a group every night and it was done by, uh, uh, it was being led by Jesuit priests. And so we did the Eucharist every night. And what was, um, so so there were words spoken every night during the Eucharist, but then after that, everything was grand silence again. So this is night number five, and you come in and you have uh, chairs and we meet together three or four times a day but in silence, to do silent meditation, but in the same space with each other. There was about 35, 40 people there. And uh, you walk around the outside of the chairs, you walk around the inside of the chairs, you sit down. There was a, a kind of a formula method that you did. And then we meditated for 30, 45 minutes in silence. And then we'd leave and we did that a couple of times a day. But anyway, so this is night number five, we're in the circle, uh, we've been silent all day and all week. And uh, in the midst of that time, I suddenly experienced the presence of the divine standing in front of me and it engulfed me in light and love. That's the only two words I can even use to express it. But it was the experience of feeling more love than I'd ever experienced in my whole life. It was like God was standing right, I, I knew if I opened my eyes, I would see God, so I get my eyes closed. But it was just this immersion of light and love. And I could hear the priest say, mass is over, go in peace, but I didn't move because I wasn't gonna stop feeling this. This was the best thing I'd ever felt in my life. And so I kept my eyes closed and I stayed in that one spot and uh, and minutes and minutes and minutes passed. And again, he said, mass is over, go in peace. And I didn't move because I was experiencing this. And then I heard him say, mass is over, go in peace. And he moved his chair back and I thought, okay, I need to go. So I opened up my eyes and that's when I realized no one had left. I wasn't the only one not leaving. And even though we never discussed it, we never shared it. There was, you know, no one in the room had left. And we had been doing this night after night after night. And um, and and so that's kind of that collective experience that you're talking about, where everybody is in one mind and one spirit and one purpose. And, you know, I, I don't, I, there's no way for me to say that every single person in that room was experiencing the same moment that I was experiencing, but they were experiencing something because the man had to get up and move his chair and say, get out of here, guys, leave, you know, uh, it's over, go in peace. Uh, but it wasn't until I opened my eyes that I realized that no one had left.
Beautiful. Brilliant. Um, uh, I remember you have some company on the bathroom of Pippi front. There's a, there's a woman, her name is a prudent, uh, Calabrese. And she was known as one of the, uh, uh, kind of preeminent, um, remote viewing, uh, uh, contact researchers and trainers. And her book, I believe is something like, really the book title is something like aliens in the bathroom. Like, cause she was, she was just there and, and all of a sudden like the entirety of, 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 of Cosmo oneness just popped through that, that window, the bathroom. And she was just like, well, here we are now and <laughs> move forward with her life. So there's a, there's definitely, <laughs> definitely good company that she hired. <laughs>